Welcome to Cows on the Planet podcast number 19, the first podcast in our second season. This series of podcasts will be exploring the science of beef production, beef, and impacts of cattle on the environment. My name is Kim Stanford, and I'm from the University of Lethbridge. I've been a beef researcher since somewhere in the midst of time, and before that on my family farm. My co-host today is Dr. Tim McAllister, a principal scientist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, also in Lethbridge. Our topic today is cows in Ghana, challenges and opportunities. I have never had the opportunity of visiting Africa, but I know that you were once Mr. Gold Star Elite frequent flyer, and I've been to Ghana and some other African countries. Is there anything in particular that you are looking forward to, Tim, in our discussions today? Yeah, Kim, I used to get around a little bit. Lately, though, in the last two years with COVID, I've hardly got out of the bedroom here. So, yeah, when I did visit Africa, I really enjoyed it. I learned a huge amount. I think we often over here think, well, we're a developed country and we got to go over there and teach those people how to do it right. But when I was there, I saw a lot of practices, you know, that I think we can learn from there. And I think Adal will talk about some of those here today. Like I know for one thing is they're continuously dealing with drought there. And that's something that we may be able to learn from and something we may be dealing with more often here as well in the future. So to provide a local perspective on cattle-related issues in Ghana, our guest today is Dr. Ada Wesse, Associate Professor of Ruminant Nutrition at the University for Development Studies in Tamale, Ghana. Welcome to Cows on the Planet, Ada. Thank you very much. Now we're happy to have you here. Fingers crossed that we've got all our technical difficulties solved. So just to start, Ada, could you please describe the long and winding road that led you to work in ruminant nutrition at your university in Ghana? Okay, yeah, thank you. I grew up on a state farm, and I saw how cattle, sheep, pigs were produced. And so I fell in love with the business of producing cattle. And so I proceeded to the university to read animal science at the BSc level continued to the MSc level. It was at that point I met Tim at my other university, the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, where he came to do a presentation on rumen microbiology. And so I established some contact with him. And then thereafter, I subsequently found myself at uh, the University of Alberta, Edmonton, where I did my PhD in uh, ruminant nutrition. And uh, Tim was one of my uh, supervisors. That's the exciting journey of my <laughs> my uh, studies that led me into uh, pursuing animal science and making it a career. Well, I think it's pretty interesting, Adai. You know, as a scientist, you go around and give talks at very locations in the world and often to students. And I can remember you being a real a keener in the front row there at, when we gave when I gave yeah. that lecture. Yeah. You know, who, but I, I don't think either of us anticipated we'd have the kind of relationship we did and you'd end up coming to Canada and all of that. But it worked out really well. It was a, a great experience, I think, for both of us. So uh, just to start out with, could you just describe the typical production system for beef in Ghana? I imagine it's quite a bit different than what we are used to here in Canada, so we'd be interested in hearing what it's like. Yes, in Ghana and in most parts of West Africa, the production system is basically what we call here semi-intensive. That's to say that cattle are not housed and fed 
as it's practiced in Canada. Basically, they go out to Greece on uh, natural pasture, and then they are returned in the evening, and then they are kept in kraal, cattle kraals. And when there is need for medication, the animals are medicated. That's opposed to what I saw in Canada, where, yes, cattle at the initial stage are raised on pasture, and then they get, after the backgrounding stage, they are finished on high green diet. In, in Ghana here, we don't do that. We basically feed all our animals on natural pasture. And that's often in the rainy season. So we basically have two seasons in Ghana. We have the dry season and the rainy season. In the dry season, we shift to a different system where the animals now have to go and graze on the leftover crop residues on the field. So the system is, is, is very different. Canada has a high input system of management. In Ghana, our system is not that high input in the sense that the amount of medication, housing, and supplements that are given to cattle is quite smaller or lesser than what pertains in Canada. Well, at our last year here, we had a, what I would describe as a pretty dry season. You know, we had a pretty severe drought, and, and there's actually quite an issue now with us trying to find feed for some of our cattle in those confined systems. And we're having trouble feeding the typical diets that you described, the high-grain diets that give us the high level of performance that we're used to. What would be the typical diet for growing cattle in Ghana? So for growing cattle, as I said earlier on, uh, it's natural pasture. The only point where we sometimes supplement them is when the animal is pregnant and then when it has lumped. In that case, the animal is restrained and then fed. It's not taken out to the fold to graze. We don't formulate diets for cattle over here as we do in Canada. They go out. The best practice you can get is to get natural pasture that has a mixture of legume and grass in it. Then you increase the nutrition of the animals. Otherwise, they just go and they graze on the grass. So it is left to the, the headman to select a very good pasture to graze his animals. So do the cattle then lose weight during the dry season? And is there much opportunity maybe to reduce that weight loss by using supplements or byproducts that might come off of uh, production for food for humans? Is that a practice at all? Yes, Tim. So that's very true. We have what we call here the vicious cycle of weight gain in the rainy season and weight loss in the dry season. So the animals gain weight in the rainy season when there's available natural pasture. And then in the dry season, we have a problem of wild bushfires as well. So not only is it that the, the pasture, natural pasture loses its nutrient content due to aging, but also when it gets dry, it's bent off. So the animals at that point lose weight. So all the weight that is gained over, over the rainy season gets lost in the dry season. And ironically, it is the dry season that beef products have much money that you can sell your animals and make money. And that's the time that most of the animals will lose weight. So to address this feed gap, what the farmers do is that we have crop residues that we store. If you remember the paper that I submitted, we have a, what you call peanuts, peanut homes. And then we also have cassava peas. So these are conserved and then they are fed to the animals in the dry season when the most of the natural pasture is bent off. Adal, what types of cattle are present in Canada? Are they mostly local breeds or are there some zebus and maybe some exotic North American breeds? Yes, uh, basically here we have the West African Shorthorn, which is a local breed adapted to the environment. We have uh, Ndama, 
And then we have a Zebu breed of uh, cattle, which is the white Fulani. The white Fulani basically are in the Sahelian parts of West Africa, but there are some also in Ghana. They are basically found in the Sahel regions, but there are few of them in Ghana. Now, Ghana has a checkered history with respect to breeds of cattle. And I think when Tim came, he would have visited my former university where we had to provide air conditions and uh, fans for cattle that were imported from Canada. Some were imported from Russia, Canada, and the Netherlands. And uh, the temperature here can be so high that to keep them and to get enough products such as milk from them, they had to provide air conditions for them. And you can imagine that if you have to provide air conditioning for animals, how much money can you make from it? So over the years, such programs have not been successful and they have been closed down. I think the remnants of that was what Tim saw when he came around, where the, the fans are still there in the air condition that was provided for the Amasari. So the breeds we have basically are the local ones and then the Sahelian ones that are brought in, into Ghana. The practice is not, in, in my opinion, is not to import breeds, but to try and develop the local ones that we have. Because one other challenge when they brought in animals from Canada was that these animals were bigger in size compared to the local ones. So when there was a cross, the fetuses became bigger than the cow could give birth to. And they had to do C-session to be able to get these fetuses out. And that's not sustainable. It sounds totally non-sustainable. It sounds like the air conditioning should be used for the people, not the cattle. <laughs> yes. So the best way forward is to improve on our local breeds. So our local breeds, too, they have what they call the SWOT analysis. They have their strengths and they have their weaknesses. They are very hardy. Input is very low. Feeding is not as high as you have with the foreign breeds. But then the other side is that productivity is very low. Their growth rate is very, very low. Milk, for instance, one cow could give you like six liters. And a complete lactation is six liters? Yes, a day, a day. Oh, a day. Okay, a day. day. Six. And that's even for the white flooding. For the other ones, like the West African shorthorn, you could get less than that. So, yes, you put in less, you get less. But they can survive the dry season. Yes, good. So they are very adapted to the environment. How much milk did the Canadian Holstein cows produce? under those high heat conditions? Those that came here, I think we had uh, 25 to 30 gallons. So they produced more, but they didn't end up surviving. So Yes. As of the production, it was not much of a constraint because they provided conditions favorable for them. Okay. But the sustainability of that situation was a problem. You could not continue to provide because they could not produce these targets outside the normal environment here. That's why they had to confine them and provide the air condition. So productivity was okay, but sustainability was not good. So you basically had to maintain a Canadian environment within the barn in Ghana in order for them to do well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. That's uh, important the environment as well, not only the animals. <laughs> so Ada, is there is there quite a few vector-borne diseases? Like I've heard about trypanomatous Maybe you can say the word better than I can. Trypanomyiasis. <laughs> That's right, yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we have that problem, so we are. <laughs> I know I, I've read about it in that, so we, we don't have it here, So, but I, I understand it's transmitted by tsetse flies. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a cheche fly, yes. Okay. 
So that has been, over the years, Churches Fly has been a major issue in Ghana. And I think it took the FAO to provide funding to the Minister of Agri, the government of Ghana, to spray along the Volta River to try and control it. I think there was a point where they even did breeding of the Cheche fly so that when the male wild crosses any other, it renders it infertile. Oh, okay. So there was a program like that. So Cheche flies were a problem and they still are because they basically affect the animals and reduce their productivity. And basically they are common with cattle and they are their main uh, hosts. So is there areas where you can't raise cattle because of those flies being present or are your cattle resistant to those flies? Yes. So like we were mentioning earlier on, the West African shorthorn cattle are resistant to it. So they are able to produce even at lower levels of infestation. Higher levels, no, it's not very good. They will die, but at lower levels of infestation, is okay. And that is why raising cattle along the Volta River it's quite problematic because these flies are very common there and then they cause problems for cattle farmers. That disease is it can also affect humans. So it's a it's a it's, it's a zoonotic disease. But in recent times, I think with the support of the FAO, it's gradually coming under control. So they are making progress then with the sterile flies and the spraying program? Yes. They spray them and then they breed them to render the females infertile. I know here in Canada, like there's some concern with climate change and that and the warming that we're seeing that we're going to see some of those vector-borne diseases move north up out of the U.S. and that that we currently don't have in Canada. Do you have any of those kinds of issues in Ghana or is it mainly just ones that are already endemic that are the issue? Issues of climate change, I would say, are actually affecting availability of feed and the livelihoods of people in Ghana. In the past you could see that there was so much natural pasture that animals could graze on. But now, many places, they had the grasses grow, and within a short time, they dry off. The amount of rain that used to come to keep natural pasture over a longer period of feeding time, we don't have that any longer. Within a short time, our growing season has been reduced. When I was in Canada, I saw that you have about four months or something like that, you have to grow your crops. We don't have winter here, but the growing season is gradually reducing over time. And when the growing season reduces, the amount of feed available to feed animals also reduces. So you've always had a dry season, but you're saying that those dry seasons are even getting more severe than they were previous to exactly, climate change. Exactly. And, and longer. Longer and severe. So what is your growing season now? I think we think, well, Africa is really warm. They must grow stuff all year round. No, 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 Tim. Now, now water is an issue. Moisture, water is an issue. The rain only falls. In Ghana here, we have very good rains from uh, basically May, June, July, August. And then some amount in September. Thereafter, we go into the dry season. But previously, farmers used to grow their crops around May. This time, gradually, we have moved to June. Sometime by May, no rain. June, even early, early parts of June, no rain. So the, the, the growing period is reducing. And as the growing period reduces, the amount of available natural pasture also reduces. And so that's why you see images of very cacatic cattle, some dying out of droughts and lack of feed. So irrigation isn't an option then? There's no way that you could use irrigation or the infrastructure would be too much? or 
if we have very good irrigation system, we will use it to produce rice and vegetables. We will not okay. use it to produce pasture for cattle. Makes sense. That leads into my question, Ada. Can we talk about the role of cattle and other livestock in meeting human nutritional requirements? I've read a little bit about protein deficiency and anemia being problems in young children and pregnant women. Yes, Africa produces about one-third of the livestock population in the world. But we only produce 4% of the world's milk. That means that the amount of milk that is available to feed children, which is a very important aspect of child nutrition, is very, very low. And cattle are the animals that can provide enough milk to meet this nutritional deficiency. So at the household level, Families that have cattle have access to milk. I mean, the cow is the only animal here that produces milk. We don't have goods producing milk here, unlike in other jurisdictions. So that makes the cow very important because it is the only animal that can provide milk. So households that have cattle get access to milk to give to their children. A study was done about the comparison between households that own cattle and those that don't own cattle. And they realized that malnutrition was quite lower in the households with cattle compared to those that don't keep cattle. So cattle play a very important role. But the, the challenge is ownership. A cow is highly valued compared to small ruminants like sheep and goats. So ownership is quite traditional in nature. Women are not allowed to own cattle in some areas in Ghana. And when you have a cow, it belongs to the household head. So you cannot just get up and take your cow and go and sell it. So this kind of system, there have been NGOs that are trying to break it because it's not helpful for child nutrition. So what the NGOs do is that they target women, then they'll give you one cow. You keep this cow. When it gives birth, you take care of the younger one and they take the mother away and give it to the next family. The next family will also take it. It will give birth. You retain the calf and you pass it on to the next family. So this is a program that's uh, being undertaken by NGOs to improve the nutrition of children at the household level. So cattle play a very significant role because they are the only animals that produce milk in Ghana. There are some Canadian charities that advocate buying someone a goat or a flock of chickens. Is this a long-term benefit? Is it a good idea? Or is there a problem then feeding this extra livestock if it was suddenly to appear? It's a very good program where we have... a. The Christian Children Fund of Canada. I used to work with them. They, they do programs like that where they identify children and then they try to support their parents with these animals so that uh, the children can have good nutrition, which will eventually uh, improve on their performance in the school. So these NGOs do very well. The reason is that in the household, in the traditional household, uh, women are not allowed to own cattle. But if an NGO brings it, it is okay. They will allow you to keep it because then the NGO tells the household that this cow does not belong to the woman. It belongs to us. But she's going to keep it. It will grow. It will produce milk. It will be producing all that the woman needs. But it is not hers. So when it's like that, then the household head understands and allows the animal to be there. And so it becomes beneficial to the entire household. But the woman cannot access cattle from the traditional system. It is only someone who can come in and bring it. So this has contributed significantly to the nutrition of children. Oh, that's that's interesting. You know, with the growing 
if we look at the world population, Africa is one of the areas that's projected to grow. And when we look at developed nations, they're actually their populations, if anything, are projected to, to decrease. But as we move towards nine and a half billion, I think two billion of those people are projected to be added in Africa with that growing population. And then, you know, you talked about climate change and increasing droughts and that, and we've heard about people migrating from areas of those drought areas into other areas to, you know, to basically try to sustain themselves and, and be able to still produce food. Is that creating any kind of unrest or that in Ghana? Is that impacting agriculture and beef production in Ghana? Or are you guys experiencing that in that region of Africa? Yes, that's very true, Tim. The issue of climate change and other factors is quite intertwined. So currently, there is a coup in Burkina Faso, who are our neighbors. There is a coup in Mali. And so there are refugees, people coming in. Some people, you see them flocking in with their animals, the little animals uh, they have. So all these things affect productivity of animals. Because where there is conflict, even in Ghana, at, uh, we have a, a town up there. It's an animal cattle producing and trading area. They are also having issues with ethnic conflicts. And these issues always affect the numbers of cattle that can be produced because farmers have a sense of insecurity and so they are not able to go out to take care of their animals. And cattle are a very good, what do you call that, spoils of war. Is that how they call it? Yes. Yeah, so people look out for them. Whenever there is a misunderstanding of ethnic conflict, the people go in there, they cover, I mean, gather all the cattle and they move away with them. So ethnic conflicts are factors that are actually affecting cattle production, not only in Ghana, but in most parts of West Africa. You talked about how our breeds don't do very well there, and, and that most of the beef that is produced is really milk is the most important thing, and that's used locally. And I know, I know the Chinese are investing quite a bit of money in Africa. I don't know how much they're putting into Ghana. But do you see like establishing some of that infrastructure like roads and ability to transport animals to slaughter and things like that? Is that going to help at all in terms of beef production in Ghana? Or is the traditional ways probably going to still dominate and, and really make the most sense for that environment? There was an NGO that came from the U.S. They wanted to produce milk. They came to talk to me, and the advice I was giving them was that to be able to be successful in producing large numbers of cattle, as I saw in Canada, you have to consider feed. Feed is very, very important. You have to look at the breed. Breed is very, very important. And then you have to look at marketing. We have cheap imports of cattle feed, liver, and all offers coming in from Brazil and from Canada and from the U.S., so when this comes in and they flood the market, then they reduce the price of cattle that are produced in Ghana. Most of the Chinese people who come to Ghana, I'm sure if you read the literature in the internet, you realize that they go into areas such as gold mining, timber, they harvest the timber. They go into areas that they can quickly make money or get raw materials to export it. So cattle agriculture is not really their, their interest. They are interested in natural resources such as timber, gold, and other areas. And also uh, commercial trade. They just buy something from China and they bring it here, sell it, and then they go back. So to develop the cattle industry in Ghana, I think it will take the people of Ghana and the government of Ghana. If the government puts some amount of investment into it, I think the cattle industry will be improved. Currently, 
we have what we call unified extension system. So you could have an agronomist going to advise a livestock farmer on how to raise his cattle. Because we don't have livestock extension officers and crop extension officers. They are just mixed. That's that's interesting, Adal. Like we've had problems with our just farm. We had some bad neighbors that would occasionally eat one of our cattle. Like it would disappear. They thankfully left the area, but we've never had any armed conflicts. There wasn't any shooting involved. So you're you're, you're bringing it to a whole new level. So I've reviewed a few papers on food safety from various nations in Africa, Adal, and some of the reported rates of meat contamination with pathogens have been very high. But if a country is poor, just having enough food can be a problem. So I'm wondering how receptive would the farmers and slaughter plants be to trying to change practices to improve hygiene? Is there even a thought about this? Yes, in Ghana, we have what we call abattoirs, And those are owned by the state. So if you want to slaughter your animal, you carry it to the abattoir and then you slaughter it. But you know that uh, in abattoirs, one important thing you need there is water. Water. There must be a regular supply of water to flush out the sledge from the animals. So that is a problem. If you go to our abattoirs, you realize that there's no enough water and there's no platform to put the animal. So they actually dress the animal on the floor. They put it down, and then the skin of the animal becomes a protective layer because the whole thing is on the ground. So those are our challenges because we don't have enough water. For the region that I come from, we have just one abattoir in the city that I, I, I am in. There are no private, called the meat packers eh, or meat processing plants mm-hmm. in Ghana. We don't have that. We only have uh, the states. The state provides abattoirs where you go and slaughter the animal, and then you can take it out and go and sell. That's what we have. So most of the time, you can have occasionally some contamination, especially with E. coli. Today, we I just went for a presentation before coming here because people go and take water from sewage sources and then they come and use it to prepare food or to dress the animal. That's where the contamination comes in. The other important factor is that the people who handle our animals are not very much educated. They come from the traditional system where every family is believed to belong to a certain tradition. So if you come out from a family that are butchers, then you become a butcher, whether you have some education or not. So they don't have a very good appreciation about hygiene. But in my university, we have a meat unit. If you come there, we actually produce animals according to the standard. We have equipment that came from the Spanish government. So we are able to produce meat in the way that it's supposed to be produced. But if you go to the general market or the main abattoirs where people slaughter animals for sale to the general public, that's where the issues of uh, hygiene is, and that's where contamination is very high. Our students have just taken swaps, even from the market and uh, from the, the platform, the ground, where they put the animals to dress them. And equally, contamination is very high. There's a gentleman in my department, and that's all that he does. The contamination is quite very high. But I know Tim who Tim can talk to this. I understand the E. coli are of two kinds or more. Some are not that pathogenic. I mean, like, they can cause disease in humans. That's correct. Yeah, okay. So while others are. Yeah. So the infection is very high, but the reported cases of death are quite lower. We've not had so many of such. But generally, 
the hygiene situation in our abattoirs across the country is not the best. So is it a matter of just increasing the education, uh, but also you'd need better infrastructure, especially for water purification? Exactly. I think infrastructure is the main issue. Infrastructure is the main issue. At what age would you slaughter your animals at? Like, what, what age would they be at the time of slaughter? About two years. Okay. Yes, about two years. And uh, most of the time, Tim, let me explain to you what happens in our area here. The animals, you classify them as spent cows. Let me say that way. Because they have to keep the animal, if it's a female, it has to give birth over time. And then when they see that it's weak, then they go and sell it and slaughter it. You may say, what about the male ones? The male ones, they use them to plow. So they'll keep it and use it until the animal is getting weak. Then they go and sell it. So those are the kinds of animals you find in the abattoir that are slaughtered. We have this common saying that if treatment fails, call the butcher. <laughs> <laughs> so if after three days there's no improvement, you call the butcher because nobody wants his animal to die. So they will, they will call the butcher and the butcher will come and uh, buy it and then uh, go and slaughter it. So that's the kind of situation we, we have over here. I think Tim will get back to that. But I think one of the things we actually also need is education. Education. And the people who are into this industry are not the educated folk. They are the traditional people who don't have much education. Well, that's interesting. So if you're a cow and your horsepower starts to decline because you're growing weak, you're next stop is probably going to be the slaughter plant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Dad, like, just to summarize then, like, in, in your opinion, what are the three biggest challenges facing the beef industry in Ghana? And it sounds like you've had a lot of thought in terms of how you might overcome those challenges. Could you just share some of that with us? Thank you, Tim. You asked for three, but I think I want it to be four because I... I okay, I, sure. Yes. Sure. So uh, the first one I want to talk about is the breed. Our breeds are quite smaller in nature. They have the advantage of being hardy, but they are size. And you have to raise an animal for two years or beyond before you can get something out of it. The dressing percentage is very, very low. So we need to improve on the breed. And we don't want to import. We want to be able to develop our own breeds. I don't know how your animals can get to 750 kilograms. But if we can breed our own to get to that level, I think that is what will help us rather than trying to bring in some other animals. The other thing is the environment. And I will add that the environment will consist of feed and the physical environment. So a physical environment, as we said, is changing in a direction that is not favorable. And that is also tied to the availability of feed. So if we can have feed, we can begin to have... When I was in the University of Alberta, there was a farmer who used to come and teach us that even their water bodies, they don't allow the animals to destroy it. There's a way they do it. When the animals go there to drink, they don't just allow them to destroy the plants that are around the river body. So we need that kind of system where the water bodies can be preserved and then the environment can be protected so that animals can continually get feed instead of just allowing them to degrade the environment and just bush burning and all that. If we can control these things, then there will be enough feed because... As Tim used to tell her, the animal has to be fed. If there's no feed, there's no growth. So feed is very, very important. And then government policy. I earlier on mentioned that for all these things to be successful, the government must support. When I was in Canada, I realized that coming into Canada, you were not allowed to bring any product that contained meat. They will stop you and they will take it and throw it away. And that's how come you guys are able to export meat to Japan and other places. 
because you protect your industry. I even know that the Wheat Growers Association in Canada are also protected. We don't have that over here. Those policies are very, very important for infant industries to grow. So if you can have a situation where the government will support the livestock industry and support farmers, protect farmers in some way, not, I'm not saying that some kind of uh, protectionism, but something closer to that, protect the farmers so that they can get to the level where they can stand on their feet. That will help the industry. And the last one, which we didn't really talk much about, is research. We need a lot of research. If we can do research into cattle production, how to be efficient, how to raise animals that have higher daily growth rates, then we can improve on the industry. I think these are the issues that, in my opinion, should be addressed to improve cattle production. Not only, you know, in Africa, we have similar conditions. We are not that different from Burkina Faso, from Mali, Cote d'Ivoire. So we have similar environmental conditions. And if these issues are addressed, I'm sure cattle production in the, these areas will be very much improved. Well, thank you, Ada. You've been an excellent guest. Tim, we've heard about how cattle can help solve current problems with protein deficiency and the need for more food with a growing population. But some of the roadblocks in the way to achieving sustainable growth in the beef industry in Ghana included armed conflicts. What are your takeaway points from what Adal had to say? Well, Kim, I'm glad that armed conflicts is not something we're dealing with in North America. I thought it was pretty interesting, you know, with what Ada outlined in terms of what the main priorities would be in improving beef production in Ghana. And he talked a lot about the things that we have developed here in our industry, such as breeds that perform well, the ability to produce high quality feed. And the support of the government, he mentioned, in terms of trade and preventing foreign diseases, et cetera, from entering into Canada. But, you know, I think the biggest take-home message that I got from what he had to say there was the critical role that cattle are playing in terms of meeting the nutrition of the young in Ghana. We hear talks about, oh, we don't need cattle anymore. We should all produce lab-grown meat. That's the way we should grow, or even lab-grown milk. Well, based on the discussion we had with the dog, obviously infrastructure is a huge issue there. He talked about how they couldn't keep the air conditioning going to keep the North American cattle alive. And I think if we're going to advocate for that kind of stuff, we've got to realize that that's a global type of perspective. And if we're going to remove ruminants from the system in Ghana, that's obviously going to have severe consequences for the nutrition of the young people there. So we, we really need to have a broad perspective when we look at things like that. Thank you for listening. If you have comments about the podcast or suggestions about future podcasts, please visit our Facebook page, Cows on the Planet. We can also be reached by Instagram at Cows on the Planet or Twitter at Planet underscore Cows. Our next podcast will be our cattle driving deforestation of the Amazon and will feature Dr. Ranio Rajo of the Federal University of Minas Gerais in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. We need to thank our production team. Carter Potts is our audio engineer and theme music developer. Alison McNaughton and Uvi Abascaria are working on podcast distribution. And Cole Thomas is our new social media lead. Now for some words from our sponsors, which are the Beef Cattle Research Council, Canada Beef, and the University of Lethbridge. Nothing we are talking about represents the views of these organizations, just looking for honest opinions of other scientists, farmers, or experts in any of the areas we are discussing.